coming up this week on the Single Seater Space podcast. That there's been some divisions between the French and English personnel at Alpine. We already had the Hundred Years War between the French and the English. You've just apologised to Alpine fans. Don't worry, there's not many of them. They won't come at you. Remember, you can find all of our content on our website, singleseaterspace.co.uk, and on our social media using the at singleseaterspace. Enjoy! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast ahead of the Qatar Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen can seal his third consecutive Formula One driver's world title. And it's very possible that he's going to complete the holy trinity of worst ways to win an F1 title, combining the human error of 2021 with the fact that he didn't even know he was champion when he crossed the line at Japan 2022 and only find out because Johnny Herbert told him in the pit lane that he was going to be champion. He can win the championship in Qatar in the sprint race if he finishes in the top six. So... That could be interesting this weekend. The championship could be wrapped up on a Saturday as uh, Max Verstappen could very easily become the champion. It looks most likely that that will be the case. And we will get on to the Qatar Grand Prix a little bit later in the podcast. However, those of you that listen to the podcast for a long time will know that our most successful episode by some distance was when we shone the spotlight on Formula One Academy. In fact, before the season started, it was announced that F1 Academy would not be broadcast live. And myself and Taryn discussed why um, this might be the case and what ramifications this might have. However, before the season finale in Austin, in about 18 days' time... The championship will finally be broadcast. It runs alongside Formula One for the first time in its history. And as a result, it will be getting the exposure that the series deserves. Um, Joining me once again for uh, another discussion on this topic is, of course, Taryn Glazebrook, Formula One and Formula E writer for singleseaterspace.co.uk, along with myself, James Scott, IndyCar writer for Single Seater Space. And Taryn, um, we'll start with the topic that, you know, that we really focused a lot on um, earlier on in the year. And um, this, marks a, this marks a large contrast from uh, the news that was announced um, in the early months of the year before the season and uh, a positive reflection on Formula One Academy and perhaps the, the newfound commitment that uh, Formula One has to enriching its ranks of female talent. Yeah, I'm kind of here. I don't know what's more extraordinary. The fact that um, the peoples may have actually listened to the Single Seat Space podcast and the fact James and I have been complaining and what feels like to be an endless complaint about the fact that um, F1 Academy wasn't going to be broadcasted. It's either that or the FIA doing the right thing. I don't know what swap. But anyway, we have both both of a card. And F1 Academy is finally, it's going to be finally broadcasted for all our motorsport lovers to enjoy. We have been waiting for this moment for far too long. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's happening. We can watch F1 Academy, whether we're sat in the UK at the moment. We can watch it on Sky Sports, which um, still means that you have to pay money. But that's F1 for you. It costs money. Um, And then, uh, obviously, in other countries, um, whatever channel it's going to be on has been revealed to us on the F1 Academy website. Yes, brilliant, James. We, 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 We love to see it. It has been something we've been complaining about 
so, 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 so much. And it's happened. And, um, yeah, I don't know whether it's just the fact that we complained about it so much that um, uh, either the FIA decided to listen to us or it's the fact that everyone complained and the FIA decided to listen to them. Probably the latter, but we can we love to imagine that the former actually happened too. But um, yeah, not really much else to be said. Um, there's obviously been lots, lots happening. Um, I think it was uh, Jess Hawkins uh, became the first person, uh, she, the Aston Martin uh, test driver. She became the first female driver since 2016, I believe, to jump into a Formula One car for a test, which was utterly brilliant to see. Uh, she, Jess is obviously a, uh, a mighty driver, um, and we we can only hope to see other female talents jumping into Formula 1 cars very soon. James, um, what are your thoughts about it? And um, is it the fact that the Single Seed Space podcast complained about it so much that the FIA finally listened? Well, it is considerably, by some distance, our most popular episode, the one um, where we did dive into Formula 1 Academy. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's a reason why we put it first, because not only is it, you know, the one that we feel the most passionate about, but also I think the one that other people do as well. Um, our opinions seem to be shared by quite a lot of people. Um, and, you know, as a result, finally... Um, they are going to receive some of the exposure that they deserve. Um, and, you know, going into it, although Marta Garcia holds a commanding lead in the championship um, going into this final round at Austin, um, it's it's just good that they're going to have this TV exposure along with the fact that there's just going to be so many more people at the track. Um, a bit like, uh, you know, how Formula 2 and Formula 3, it really captivates um, fans when there's all the Formula 1 crowd at the circuit compared to where Formula 2 used to go to Hareth as a standalone event. There just weren't that many people in comparison to when you go to somewhere like Silverstone and over the course of the weekend, these young drivers are being watched in the stands by a couple of hundred thousand people. It makes a massive difference going forward. Um, they, you know, they're looking for commercial partners. They're looking for um, ways to drive their success further. If they're just around that many more people, it just makes sense um, that there will be growth. And for this reason, you know, it's um, it's 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 a really positive step. I mean, it's a step that needed to be made. And uh, I, I don't like to praise praise the FIA and and its uh, commercial partners for doing the bare minimum. But, um, you know, it's it's a small step in the right direction. And, um, you know, as you say, along with the test that um, Jess Hawkins has uh, had, you know, again, it's it's another step in the right direction, but th there's a long way there's a long way to go. Not just in the um, not not just over the course of the uh, of the of the of the how we we getting women into Formula One, but just in the in the atmosphere in general. Yeah, sorry, um, my 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 error. Um, she's the first driver in female driver in five years to take part in a modern F1 car. We had Tatiana Calderon uh, taking part in an event in Mexico, and then um, actually, actually Jamie Chadwick uh, completed tests for Williams in 2021. But um, I think it's just purely out of the fact that she uh, Jess Hawkins was the first one to actually take part in an actual proper test. Um, but yeah, still, it's brilliant to see and we want to see more of it. Um, and that's what I think the main point that we're trying to drive home here is and always has been. Yeah. And I think as I, I as you know, as I was just saying before, you'd like you to clear that up. Um, the, the, fa the fact is we've got to change the atmosphere as well. I mean, the social, social media was flooded Aston Martin with people asking, um, Aston Martin to release Jessica Hawkins's test times. But that, that doesn't happen if a, a Formula 2 or a Formula 3 driver goes into the car. Nobody cares, um, you know, how fast they're going at. But suddenly, because a female driver has taken the wheel, suddenly there's this 
huge amount of outrage that, oh my goodness, you know, where are her lap times? How do they compare? It's it's not about the comparison. I mean, firstly, it's impossible to make a comparison considering different tyres, different day, different conditions, different track temperature, different wind speed, different wind direction. You name it, the factors are different. So the, the, the fact that people are being asked to release um, the times is ridiculous, but it also shows that the atmosphere within the community is one that needs to change as well. And um, the, the fact that there are there are there are and always have been incredibly successful female open wheel racing drivers. I mean, Lella Lombardi is is the one that scored points in Formula One as as a woman. I know it hasn't happened for a long time, but she was an incredibly talented female racer. Danica Patrick won an IndyCar race, which is no mean feat. I mean, Roman Grosjean has nine Formula One podiums and he's never won an IndyCar race. And Danica Patrick has won an IndyCar race. So, you know, when you when you balance the two together, suddenly um, Roman Grosjean with more podiums in Formula One than probably at least 90% of other drivers who've ever competed in the series have had. And uh, Danica Patrick's got more IndyCar wins than him. So, you know, her accolades are perhaps stronger than his. So um, they're, they're, they're just about breaking down this taboo that... Um, that, you know, female drivers shouldn't deserve this spot because they absolutely should. And um, if we just go back to the, the first point that we started with, it is good that F1 Academy is going to be broadcast at the United States Grand Prix. But before then, we have the not-so-small task of the Qatar Grand Prix, where Max Verstappen will become world champion. I think it's inevitable with so many points on offer. Um, he'll probably have it done in the sprint race. And this has raised some more questions about the relevancy of the sprint races. Um, you know, they are uh, they, they are completely separate now from the rest of the race weekend, except the fact that uh, they do score points in the normal championship. As such, Max Verstappen can uh, take the title home this weekend um, with literally uh, a points finish in the sprint race, pretty much. I think he has to finish in the top six. Uh, and Sergio Perez definitely needs to finish, um, win the sprint if he is to have any hope of keeping this championship fight, which has been over since the Spanish Grand Prix, probably, uh, to... Uh, uh, to, to go uh, any longer, even to the main race in Qatar. Taron, um, there are some more storylines coming into Qatar, but uh, uh, we expect Verstappen to wrap up the title, don't we? Yeah, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Verstappen doesn't even have to like finish the Qatar GP. And I'm pretty sure he is gonna, he's going to do that anyway. But um, the main thing is Perez has to finish. Um, he has to basically win every single thing. Uh, around Qatar, which um, is as likely as an Alex Albon podium, I feel at the moment. I cannot lie to you. Um, I've, I'm I'm sorry, Sergio. We really, really, really like you, and we want you to do well. But your past form has just not been great. I'm afraid. Um, racing someone like Verstappen is no small feat, and it's no small task. Um, but. It, 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 this this gap is just a little bit stupid. Um, other topics, um, because of course Verstappen is going to wrap up this victory in the sprint race, and um, there's no there's no real questions. I don't think um, I would be incredibly shocked if Verstappen is not the one to do that. Then, but I just want to talk about Alpine. There has been some civil war going on at Alpine. Not just between the drivers, but between the personnel. There has been rumours 
that there's been some divisions between the French and English personnel at Alpine. Team staff have been known to book separate hotels, and Renault's CEO has made it clear this will not be tolerated. Where do we go with this? The there's 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 obvious like something's happening at Alpine, you know, uh, and you don't even need to talk about between the two French drivers personnel like little wars just because somebody's French or somebody's English it's completely unacceptable pretty obviously but it has to be said it's pretty unacceptable you are fighting for a Formula 1 cha- you're fighting in a Formula 1 championship for Formula 1 world championship um, and to, to, to fight your competitors that team harmony is so crucial if it wasn't obvious enough already it is so 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 crucial for all members of your team to get along with each other and if they're not getting along with each other at least they should be working well this on the other hand we already had the hundred years war between the french and the english we do not that another hundred years war is not really required at the moment to be frank with you there are other things that we need to be worried about um, and for Alpine, their worry at the moment is closing the gap to the likes of McLaren, Aston Martin, um, even Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, etc., etc., even though that is a bit of a longer haul task that coming their way. They are sat in P6 in the middle of nowhere, and like what seems like all the time, they seem like providing some unnecessary entertainment. Well, this isn't even entertainment, it's just stupid. I'm not. I'm. I'm sorry, Alpine fans, but you've got to agree with me here that the, there is something clearly wrong going on at the Enstone team, and for something like this is just too unnecessary. And I don't really know what else to say about it, James. Um, any little words about that little misharmony at Alpine? Um, you've just apologised to Alpine fans. Don't worry, there's not many of them. They won't come at you. It's You can kind of see why uh, drivers were so desperate to leave um, Alpine. I mean, there's no shock that Fernando Alonso's exit from Alpine was ugly. Oscar Piastri's exit from Alpine was particularly ugly. They have very few junior drivers that you feel really have a shot at making it into Formula 1. And really, everything they do seems to be underwhelming. And I don't know why but it just feels like everything misses the mark for them you know they when they joined the sport in 2016 when when uh renault took over from lotus in 2016 their aim was to be fighting four championships by 2020 and in that time although they had a reasonable 2020 season with a couple of podiums courtesy of daniel ricardo um it's not been that pretty and then 2021, slightly worse. 2022, slightly worse. 2023 has picked up a touch. Maybe they've been on the podium with both drivers, which is pretty shocking um, considering how far off the top four teams they are, how far off the top five teams they are. And if you compare McLaren's progress to Alpine, Alpine seem to have their feet stuck in the thickest cement and they are unable to get out of it. And everything they do seems to sink them deeper into the cement of mediocrity. They quite simply have for many years just not been able to move up the pack and 
it, it's it can't be a, it physically can't be a lack of funding because they are a factory team. So it, it's it's not that they are a customer team and other bits are letting them down. They develop everything by themselves. The Alpine engine is so far off the rest of them that they really are just not there. And they're just not at the races every weekend. And I know that they're not in as a bad a spot as Williams, Haas, AlphaTauri, and Alfa Romeo. But this is a customer. T- this sorry, this is a factory team, and those four are customer teams. Um, this this is a team that develops everything by themselves, for themselves, with themselves. Um, and uh, obviously, it's quite clear that the uh, the culture of the team is one that is. Um, the one that is not very harmonious, and um, you know, and the results on the track are not enough to mask it. Quite, quite frankly, um, and you know, over the course of this year, it, it, it's it's been pretty poor, hasn't it? And um, that uh, that that just looks set to continue um, throughout the rest of the time. Um, we'll talk about then the battle for second in the constructors and the drivers' championship. I feel like. There's too much for Lewis Hamilton to do to overtake Sergio Perez. That Mercedes car just isn't that good. And somehow he's incredibly close to uh, Perez in the championship. But that's mainly because Perez has been bad. Um, So we'll talk about the battle for the Constructors title then. We've got Mercedes and Ferrari. And then almost a notch below, we've got Aston Martin and McLaren. If we get onto the Mercedes versus Ferrari, I think it's pretty clear Ferrari have the upper hand um, at the moment. And going into these last few races, you really would expect, in fact, that uh, Ferrari will close up this gap as well. Do you think now that um, we're really in that territory where uh, Ferrari are going to do the business? um, And, you know, George Russell in eighth in the standings now as well. He's missing the marker touch too, do you think? Yeah, um, I think ever since Monza, Ferrari have found some wind in their sails and... They have somehow picked up some pace that they have closed the gap down to Mercedes. And suddenly we have a 20-point gap between them in a battle for P2. Um, I think the main thing here is George Russell. Oh, Georgie. Um, really, not, not not hasn't been your best season by any means. And to be honest, I think it's been a little bit worse than his 2022 season. Um, I don't know if this is being harsh. Um, I'm just kind of using the facts at the moment that are laid out in front of me. But um, yeah, I love when they put um, George, Lando and Albono together when they did a little sketch for the 20, with the 2019 rookies and they kind of just put them out and displayed them how they were doing now. And I think it was, I think it was Alex who um, very savagely said, um, "Lewis must be doing a really, really good job then if you are in P two in the championship ahead of Ferrari by twenty points, because you're behind Lando in P P eight now." Um, it it's savage, but sadly, it's true. Um, I, as much as I do feel slightly bad for George, um. The, the 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 figures are there and are laid out in front of him and he is the one at the moment who's holding back Mercedes in this battle for P2 in the championship because Lewis Hamilton has been it it's been a quietly impressive season this by Lewis yes he is not winning races yes he's not exactly in a fight for P1 any time at all unless he's got pole position around the Hungara ring for the billionth time. It's it's just been it's been a brilliant season by Lewis. Um, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, you mentioned Battle for P4 between Aston Martin and McLaren. We have team with two drivers performing very very well at the moment. 
shown by their double podium around Japan. And another one, which is, let's be honest, being carried by one man, and it is a Spaniard by the name of Fernando Alonso. This stuff just sounds very, very familiar, doesn't it, James? We heard this at Ferrari, whether it be in 2012, when uh, I think Alonso was leading the championship and he was single-handedly carrying Ferrari to the Constructors' title. It didn't happen, but it was nice while it lasted. Um, wh where do we start with Lance Stroll? I chatted to you about this. He has perhaps had one of... I, 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 in my opinion, in my opinion, that is probably wrong. He has been the worst driver on this F1 grid this season so far. We've Yes, we've had our Nick DeFreezes. Yes, we've had Logan Sargent being under fire. Lots, Sir Lancelot, he's... How do I put this? He's He's been outside of the point with a car that has got on the podium several times this season. And he's sat with two Alpine drivers chasing him down in the Drivers' Championship. I'm just confused, James. I am so, so, so baffled. Um, as much as, yes, Lance is... He's proven to us time and time again that he is an F1 driver, that when he's, got, when he's on his day, he can be as good as any other driver out there. I'm thinking about that lap in Turkey in 2020. I'm thinking about that 2017 Italian Grand Prix qualifying or Baku in 2017. I'm thinking about those events. I haven't seen any sort of fire from him in a long time. Um, and yeah, I'm, I, we're, we're, we're losing patience with Lance Stroll at the moment. I know Aston Martin haven't, and I've heard a load of people saying that oh, Lance has had a little bit of bad luck this year, and actually he's been on pace with Fernando. Guys, we've got the figures in front of us, and stuff is not adding up. Um, I'll go to you, James, because obviously I've had some very harsh comments on this. Um, what are your thoughts at the moment on that whole Aston Martin teammate scrap? Well, you say that Lance Stroll on his day is, um, you know, is on pace with some of the fastest in the sport. But unfortunately for Lance, his day is February the 32nd. And so it doesn't happen often, um, if at all. Uh, I mean, you know, he has put in a couple of, a sprinkled in with a lot of, a lot of mediocrity is a sprinkle of brilliance. But really, over the course of the seasons, it's not been that pretty. Um, having said that... There is perhaps a way that Aston Martin are about to deal with their Lance Stroll problem because um as Lawrence Stroll owns as Lawrence Stroll owns the organization, they can't really get rid of him. However, as of about seventeen minutes ago, Aston Martin announced that they were uh, joining the World Endurance Championship for twenty twenty five and I think this is going to be Aston Martin's solution to their Lance Stroll problem. I genuinely believe they're going to make Lance Stroll their number one driver in that World Endurance Championship hypercar program. And he will be test and reserve driver for the F1 team. And add to that, um, they are going to get Honda engines uh, quite soon. They're ending their lease with Mercedes. And um, who is a driver who's very likely to be out of a seat at the end of 2024, but also go backed by Honda? That's Yuki Tsunoda. 
And so the, the chances are I would be very shocked if Aston Martin didn't then pull Sonoda across once Lance Stroll leads their hypercar program and uh, suddenly they have two Formula One drivers performing at the level that a Formula One driver should be performing at and not uh, the driver that has been picked up from, from down the pub because uh, dad needed a, needed a spare pair of hands in the car. Um, so... You know, that that's genuinely what I believe is going to happen over the course of the next sort of 18 months. Um, so Aston Martin do have, I guess, a solution to the Lance Stroll problem. But the other thing is they have a big problem with their car. It is that their upgrades have seen them go backwards. And uh, there were some reports coming out that... Um, They've, they've taken the wrong development path, essentially, with their 2023 upgrades. And the ones that are coming for the rest of this season are going to rescue that. Because the rules aren't changing very much for 2024, um, they are, they're having to rescue the fact that this base model car is the one that's going to be used next year. And if they've started upgrading it in the wrong direction and making it slower, um, that's a huge mistake. So... Aston Martin, um, you know they've they've got some they've got some work to do, especially because they've got McLaren chomping on their heels. It's been the story of uh, story of the season that um, McLaren, after having such a torrid start to the season, are now fighting back. So um, yeah, something uh, something completely different um, in that regard. Well, speaking of Formula One, we've got some discussions to have because it came out this week that interactions in Formula One. On social media is down 70% and considering the spike in popularity that Formula 1 had due to Drive to Survive and that incredible 2021 season which saw Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen dueling it out every single week which felt like cinema every week the fact that they were slugging it out on track tensions were at boiling point and then boiled over multiple times in the season it got so cinematic it was almost a bit silly and of course we know how it ended um since then red bull really have dominated uh the new dawn for formula one and um as a result interactions are dropping 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 um taran i'll pose this question to you when we when we watch other sports and there is domination. You look at, say, tennis and the domination of Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer was something to really be admired. And if you look at um, golf and the, the amount of um, skill that Tiger Woods possessed and people were captivated to watch his golfing talent and Serena Williams and Venus Williams, these are massive names that come out of the sport and it, it draws people in. Um, why do you think that's not the case with Formula One? And why is the popularity declining as a result of the domination rather than increasing because people are, um, you know, people, people are, are not drawn in in the same way they are with other sports? I think the main thing, thing we have to see here is in tennis, it's, well, yes, you've probably picked out on the fact that Nubik Djokovic was always challenging and always winning stuff, but we always had... A Mr. Roger Federer, or we had a Mr. Rafael Nadal, or even Andy Murray. Who knows? Uh, he was number one for all of five minutes, it felt like. But um, yeah, you know, at least we had that little battle, and there's always like a percentage of chance here and there that, oh, this player could do this and this player could do that. So I think tennis, it, we can't really make the comparison to that. Um, and even at the moment, we've had um, Alcaraz um, beat Djokovic at Wimbledon, which was an utterly amazing game to watch. Um, but that's tennis. Um, back to F1. And we are sat here with one driver who cannot be beaten. And 
the facts are is that that driver is so heavily favoured. I know it's been denied so many times, and even by Sergio Perez's dad, but recent events have seen that go the opposite way. Sergio's dad is not happy at all, which is a rare thing and a very sad thing, but it is quite true that Red Bull back Verstappen above that of a number two driver to such an extent that nobody can beat him in that team. And let's be honest, nobody is going to be beating Verstappen if they're joining Red Bull anytime soon. Even if a top top even if a top driver like Lando Norris is jumping into Red Bull. It very it very much could happen. I know um Red Bull have obviously been scouting about for him and as much as rumours are saying that he is going to be staying at McLaren, there's always, of course, a percentage chance, as there is in any F1 silly season, that Lando could make a move if Red Bull make a lunge at him. But this is the thing. Red Bull are such a one-man team at the moment. I know Perez is sat in Peter in the championship, but that's because the car is so it's so amazing that anything less than P2 for Perez is... um. How, how do I put it? It, 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 it you, you can't really get much worse. Um, so I'm not really surprised at all that F1 viewership has gone down. Um, I'm not really surprised. I'm, I'm quite surprised that F1 viewership actually remained still high after in 2022, despite the fact we had Verstappen again breaking win records. He broke the most. He, most, he broke the most win records in a season, beating Seb Vettel in 2013. Stuff like that, and still we had viewership figures. Oh, that's because we just had one of the best, well, debatably one of the best Formula 1 seasons we ever had. It's it's stuff like that, and obviously Formula 1 viewership figures, we're probably going to link this with Formula E viewership figures. Just after we talk about the fact that, yes, James, we have an 11th team, an, an 11th team on the F1 grid. Just recently announced. But anyway, little side point that. Um, but yeah, I'm not really surprised at all that we've got F1 viewership figures down, and I hope that um yeah as much as rebel dominance does it requires to be admired and i'm not gonna say no to that it's just a little bit different isn't it at least in mercedes dominance we had that battle between hamilton and rosberg that captivated us so much even in 2017 2018 we had ferrari finally coming finally awakening before um depressing massively in the second half of the season and even 2019 and 2020 Raji Bottas said to us, watch me, I can actually drive and compete against Lewis Hamilton. It was stuff like that, you know. But this F1, this Red Bull dominance is, I feel it's different. And I'm not really the only one who's going to say that. And I've not been the only one to have said that. Um, I think I've summarised it pretty well. But um, do you want to kind of have any finishing remarks, James? Yeah, I mean, I'll just wrap it up by saying, um, you know, I think... <laughs> F1 was so exciting in 2021 because of how close the championship fight was. That's point That's point number one as how key the championship fight. F1 was reasonably bearable in 2022 and quite fun because of how much closer the racing was um, in terms of actually on the track the cars could follow. And I, I, I saw somewhere that it was a stat that how much the cars are affected by dirty air 
and it was something like 40 to 45% in 2021, which is fine because we had a brilliant championship battle. In 2022, that number was down at 20%, which is fine because we had much closer racing as a result. You know, uh, uh, a more than half reduction in dirty air means that cars inevitably were going to be closer. So we had some decent races. I mean, you think about Silverstone, Austria, USA, Brazil. There was, there was action there. And then 2023... That number has gone back up to about thirty-eight percent. So then, when you when you look at it, there's no championship battle, and the races have been pretty dire. And then suddenly you think, well, no wonder, um, no wonder the the casual fan is dropping off. And um, I, I know F1 does so much to market itself, but even then, their marketing that they're doing for Las Vegas. I mean, if I was an average American for Las Vegas, I would re- I would be really against it. You know, charging people thousands of dollars for the tiniest glimpse. They're closing the walkway. You won't be able to see it. Cafes have to pay ludicrous amounts if they want to be able to have views of the track. Hotel rooms, all of that. It's, it's, all, it's, it's slightly ridiculous. And it's not attracting the casual fan in the way that they think it is. There's just some massive marketing flaw. And um, I, I'm I'm not shocked at all. Yeah, uh, not really shocking at all. I've I've got one of my friends who, obviously, he's a, he's a casual fan. Like he he'll obviously keep, he'll obviously have a look at what's going on in the F1 world. Um, but yeah, whenever I'm coming to see him, he's just like um, yeah, in the F1 today, uh, did the guy in the fastest car win a race? And every single time, I just say to him, yes. This was the thing about the days like 2012. We well, I've I think though it was pretty clear that Red Bull always had something up their sleeve. But Fernando Alonso, in debatably the fifth best, fifth best what car on the grid, he was able to win races. It was stuff like that that captivated the F1 mind, and the fact that we actually really, really missed that these days. Um, yes, Carlos Sainz, debatably that Ferrari on that day was probably the fastest car inside that top four. Verstappen did look like an absolute rocket ship, and ultimately, I think if uh, that virtual safety car didn't come out when it did. We could be sat here with Verstappen having won God knows how many races in a row and we'd be actually really, really depressed. But um, yeah, this is the thing that F1 these days is the guy with the fastest car and he's always winning. But that's the reality of F1. Um, And uh, the thing is, the thing that would make F1 a little bit better is if we didn't know what the fastest car was going to be. Every single time we arrive to a weekend, because already we are sat here predicting that Verstappen is not only going to win the Drivers' Championship this weekend, but he's probably going to win the Qatar GP by about 15 seconds. But, um, you know, that's F1 in 2023 in a nutshell. Yeah, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you flip the switch and you uh, look at Formula E, they're reporting a 17% increase in... Uh, viewership which is it's a sizable number which apparently takes that up according to i can't remember if it was autosport or um i think it might have been uh, so it apparently takes that number up to somewhere around 345 million people which i'm i don't want to question it but i am questioning it i think that is somewhere is a minor miscalculation to say that 350 million people are watching it considering that they have 880,000 YouTube subscribers and 300,000 followers on uh, on on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Um so, you know, when you when you when you weigh it up, I have to say that it's good that their viewing figures are up, but um 
uh, I, 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 I don't agree with the numbers. The numbers, the numbers feel like someone, uh, some poor internship student has, has added a couple of zeros on in the end, and uh, and and we've we've just we've just ridden with it. Um, so yeah. Um, and do you think that that's a, a direct result of the fact that? Um, the racing has been slightly better. Um, the Gen 3 cars, they look better. They race better. Um, again, do, you know, do you think that, as a result, has, has played its part? Yeah, we've already stated on this podcast that Gen 3 has been better because the cars have been quicker. And people like faster cars. It's why we watch most sport. We always want to see the fastest cars on track at the same time. It is why we love it. Um, yeah, um, it was actually the official Formula E website that um, announced that figure. Hmm, I'm pressing X for doubt here, James. It is looking very, very dodgy. They said 225 million viewers tuning in, tuned in live over season nine. Um, I, I, I'm slightly confused. I cannot lie to you. Um, 344 million views during the 2022 to 2023 uh, new uh, Gen 3 season. Hmm. I am not convinced. Yes, the racing was brilliant, and I will always talk about that. We had a really, really incredible Formula E season. That went to the very wire. Um, we had team drama, we had driver drama, we had everything in between, and Formula E was an utterly brilliant championship. And we can only hope the same for 2024, to be honest. And uh, who knows? Preseason testing is coming up very, very soon. I think it's in three weeks or something like that. It's coming up. Um, we can only hope for the same, but um, yeah, that is a very, very questionable figure by the FIA Formula E World Championship. Um, but I guess we just move on, and um, I'm actually going to start talking about this. Andretti, they made an announcement. Finally, we have an eleventh team in Formula One after so many complaints about our. We do want. We don't want them to the eleventh team. We don't want this. We don't want that. There's not enough space in the paddock, guys. 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 In an era where we have about fifty countries asking to host a Formula One race, I don't even think I'm exaggerating it. It feels like that number at the very moment. Um, you know, an an extra team on the grid. I'm not even complaining. The one point that I'm probably going to have here is the fact the point system, I feel it probably needs to be extended a little bit, to be honest, at the moment. I stated this I stated this probably a couple of podcasts ago, but um, we have a point system at the moment where you're obviously going to have two Red Bulls in the top 10. Yes, Sergio Perez is going to finish in the top 10. I know he hasn't done that last race at least, but he is realistically going to be in that top 10. We're going to have both Ferraris in that top 10. We're going to have both Mercedes in that top 10, and we're going to have both McLaren in that top 10 with Fernando Alonso. That's nine positions already taken. So technically, all the other teams are fighting over one single point, which, to be honest, is quite pointless. Pun unintended. So yeah, I just feel like an extension to the top 15. I'm not saying get the IndyCar system in, because, to be honest, that has been pretty ridiculous, I feel. The whole, like, the whole, like, leader circle business and um, Di Francesco having to finish, I think, was it P21 or something like that before Joseph Newgarden overtook him? Felt pretty, pretty and utterly ridiculous, to be honest with you, James. Um, but yeah, just extend, extend it to the top 15. 
have Andretti in, and who knows, if you want to have a 12th team in, which, to be honest, would definitely be very lovely indeed and send us back to the 2010 days with Mark Webber literally going over a Lotus around Valencia. You know, stuff like that, I don't think we'd be complaining about it too much. Uh, but yeah, one more team on the grid to create more racing and hopefully closer racing is something that I'm not going to be complaining about anytime soon. James, uh, any words about our 11th team on the F1 grid? I know they're an IndyCar team, but can they deliver the goods in the big world of Formula 1? Well, we don't even know if they're going to be allowed in yet, to be honest. I mean, I love the enthusiasm, but they've been approved by the FIA, but they have to enter commercial talks with Formula 1, which I have to say, given Formula 1's um, track record on something like this, uh, I would be, I would not be shocked if they were quite um, frosty towards Andretti, uh, uh, the Andretti group. And, um, and you know, the teams have already stated, because in their own self-centred, greedy way, that uh, they want to, you know, they, they don't want to share around any more of the uh, the prize money. Um, you'd have to say that uh, they, they are being quite greedy. And it, it wouldn't shock me that... Uh, it, that Andretti might not get allowed in, and that would set a pretty damning precedent for Formula One. But um, often, you know, uh, the t the team likes to the Formula One likes to to think for itself and its existing teams, which is why uh, you know Ferrari used to get that enormous bonus in prize money quite simply because they'd been there for so long. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I believe that Andretti will have the resources to do so. Um, they're obviously a well-oiled racing team. We've seen that over the course of many series, Formula E, IndyCar, Extreme E. There, there's no reason why the team can't be successful in Formula 1. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if they do get in, who they'd sign as a driver. I mean, there's, there, would you get for one person with F1 experience and a, a, a young American rookie? Is the young American rookie that you desperately want to sign actually going to have a super license because you actually concentrate on your IndyCar short oval package and decide that you can deliver him the car that's going to do it? These are all important questions. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. And um, I'm sure... Uh, I'm sure Andretti uh, will have the resources to do so, but they've uh, they've got to get in first. And um, unfortunately, Formula One likes to see itself as a a closed shop, but also a world championship. Um, so is it is it uh, a championship where the fastest car and driver can win, or is it a uh, a closed shop rich boys club in which then uh, in which then uh, the championship is elected from one of those few? But I think that's pretty much everything we've got to talk about. Um, there was just some news that McLaren and uh, Hunkos Hollinger have signed a uh, technical partnership together, which seems to be um, or reasonably similar to the uh, type of strategic partnership that Team Penske and AJ Foyt have, and that um, uh, and that uh, Andretti Autosport and Meyershank Racing have. It actually took me a while to remember that uh, th those two teams actually exist. And... Um, I really, really hope McLaren aren't going to be taking Indy 500 setups from Hunkos Hollinger Racing because uh, th they will not make the race. If so, it'll be like uh, it'll be like 2019, where a Hunkos will be knocking a McLaren out of the Indy 500, a la Kyle Kaiser and Fernando Alonso. Um, it's quite funny now that uh, after the tiniest team in IndyCar with no sponsors knocked out the global motorsport giant, they're now pairing up 
in a strategic partnership just four years later. Ah, how quickly the world of motorsport changes. Um, Yeah, so that is some news. Any words on that or anything else, Taryn, before we wrap this one up? Yeah, um, the one point I just want to say is I, as much as, I mean, yes, I'm a new IndyFile fan and I've probably got no um, idea what on earth is going on, but I just don't want it to turn bot in the situation we have in F1 at the moment where we have junior teams such as Alpha Tari with Red Bull, or let's say even we've got a situation with um, like Williams with Mercedes, with Mercedes and like Alfa Romeo with Ferrari. I just don't want it to turn into that where it's just an excuse to have like a team there to um, oil some young driver to jump up into the main team. I just, I, as much as, you know, we might have that in the car at the moment, I don't want it to turn into that. If it makes sense, I don't want it to be like, you have a younger team here against the senior team there. You know, I want it to kind of stay as we got the smaller teams against the bigger boys. I want it to be them trying to like get a podium or something like that and just shocking the bigger teams and saying, yes, we are here, we are existing and we are doing a great job on our own. I want it to be a bit like that rather than having some F1 little junior team versus senior team kind of thing. That was all I wanted to say. Well, I, I think... I mean, I think you're comparing apples and oranges there, though. Um, I think I think it's completely different what something like um, having an F1 team where Red Bull and AlphaTauri have the, the two separate things. Whereas if you compare these, I mean, I'm not really sure how they work, but even within a within a team um, in uh, in IndyCar, team orders are completely illegal, even between like the the, the nine crew and the ten crew at Chip Ganassi Racing. And so, um, I mean, I'm not sure how much the technical partnerships are going to affect anything. I mean, if you look at Andretti Autosport and Meyer Shank Racing. Racing, they are completely separate entities. All they do is share engineering data. So, um, I mean, does it open up a path for a driver like Callum Eilat to maybe move to a larger team? Yes. And does it? And might it allow um, you know a younger driver to move to that AJ Foyt seat before they perhaps are going to be bled into a team Penske car? Also, yes. But then that's also how pretty much every motorsport series you know has worked over the course of the last you know 60, 70 years. So um, I think I mean I, I think you when 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 the teams aren't building their own cars and Delara are building the, all the chassis for IndyCar, I think it's almost impossible um, to, to to compare and, and say that, you know, it's going to be like that. But, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's valid to address your concern, but, I mean, it just it just quite simply won't happen. So I think we'll be absolutely fine. Um, and uh, and we, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there. So that's everything we've got to talk about this week. Um, we've, we've got through quite a lot. Um, which is good. We've got the uh, Qatar Grand Prix, which uh, is going to include a world championship win in Formula 1 um, as Max Verstappen, as I said in the introduction, will complete the holy trinity of worst ways to win the title. Uh, and, um, of course, the big news that F1 Academy being broadcast live um, is, is, of course, nice for uh, us um, as viewers and great for uh, the F1 Academy drivers and uh, their future sponsorships. Um, and just their future path into the world of motorsport, and um, just the belief that, yep, they 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 can they can be um, proper racing drivers. So that is everything from us this week, uh, and we will see you after the Qatar Grand Prix when uh, Max Verstappen is inevitably a three-time world champion. Goodbye.